Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest. And we're back at it again today, excited to bring you another edition of our weekly roundup program. And so we're back here again, weekly roundup number four. Today is February the 12th, 2022. And as always, we're back here again with a lot of news for you, letting you know what's happening in the world around you. So we're going to cover a lot of different things going to be in the political world, business, maybe cover the Olympics. We're going to cover it all here. So just kind of sit back and relax, as Adrian always says, and we're going to get right into the show. Haven't heard that in a while. (laughs) So, you know, plug it. (laughs) uh, It's in the timestamps, but yeah, I know we hadn't said it in a long time. Going to have to start bringing that back. I like it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Sit back and relax. And that's what we, that's why we're here. And that's the whole point of this whole thing. Is for us to bring you the news in a fun and engaging way while you're sitting back and relaxing or doing whatever you're doing on a Saturday. So let's get right into it. And starting our first segment here, we're going to go up to Washington, D.C., to the White House, where to celebrate Joe Biden's historically diverse cabinet, all six black members, which are Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge, Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Michael Reagan, U.N. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield, Office of Management and Budget Acting Director Shalonda Young, and Council of Economic Advisors Cecilia Rouse um, and Moderator Cedric Richmond, they were all there, uh, and they were convened for what was called an unprecedented roundtable discussion. And this event highlighted the importance and significance of Black leadership in key policy areas, including military service, housing, environment, foreign affairs and the economy. So, and there you go. I mean, I I mean, agent, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, you're talking about some big positions, particularly defense secretary, not saying the rest of them don't matter, but defense secretary is one that's really, you know, sticks out as one we haven't particularly seen, uh, you know, a person of color or a black person in general be appointed to that position. So kudos to the, the Biden team for, for doing that. And also just everybody else that they nominated. Yeah, I agree. They're um, they they really set out to have a diverse cabinet, and they're definitely doing that. A lot of diversity amongst the the agencies of the government. So you know, I'll, I'll give them some kudos to that. You know, one story, uh, listeners, that didn't make the cut it was talking about some of the racial disparity with the jobs reports in uh, the administration. So you know, good in one area, bad in another. So <laughs> you know, hey. But anyway, that's like, yeah, can't win them all, I guess, you know. Uh, (laughs) But what we're going to do, let's take you to, uh, I think this is, okay, yeah, Miss Minnesota. This is uh, at a swim meet. Really interesting story here. Lighty Lennons uh, was at a, uh, was, was set to compete in a USA swimming meet held at Superior High School and sponsored by the Duluth Area Family YMCA in Duluth, Minnesota. And this is outside of uh, Superior, Wisconsin. Um, One race official and independent volunteer told the preteen that her swimsuit violated league policy against political language and that she would be disqualified if she changed, if she didn't change into another outfit. And basically the uh, swimsuit had, you know, Black Lives Matter on it, which I guess is a political statement. I don't, I mean, I guess it's just saying it's, I, you know, to me, that's more of a social statement, but I don't, I, don't, I guess there could be some policy behind it. But anyway, um, her mom, you know, called the NAACP in Duluth. And yeah, honestly, when I read this, Devin, I kind of laughed because 
Because I was like, you know, you don't. There's not a whole lot of you know situations where you just call your local NAACP chapter. You know, hey, she's got some ends. <laughs> she's got some connections. Like when we talk about being involved and connected in the community, that's what <laughs> we're talking about. Because. I'll be honest. I don't know who my local NAACP chapter president is. And I'm in Dallas and I've been here for a few years now. But I mean, obviously, being able to call them up, Mr. Dudley came in and was able to, you know, help <laughs> fix the situation as ridiculous as it was. I mean, I we understand that there are some people who will not get on board with what Black Lives Matter is pushing or what they believe. But the phrase itself stands for a lot more than that. So I think, you know, it being considered political language, I could I could see that on one hand, but I also understand it may she just be maybe wearing this because of the, what the phrase means to her, not necessarily to make a political statement about policing and things like that. I think it's just a phrase maybe. I'm not saying that's what she's thinking, but just from my point right. of view, that I may mean, be the message. She is a, you know, from, I remember, you know, in the article, her mom does mention that she does, you know, support a lot of social issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think Black Lives Matter, that, that phrase kind of triggers a lot of things to me. Yeah, I even was reading an article where in Memphis, there was a lot of uh, White Lives Matter posters just, you know, throughout the city and different things like that. There's like a, somewhat like a retaliation, you know, among yes. some communities where when they see that they're like, you know, well, what, you know, that's why like when some people talk about the all lives matter, I'm just like, yeah, that's like, you know, it's like, it's, you know, both of those situations, <laughs> whether you say that or white lives matter, whatever, I'm just like, yeah, but you know, they've always mattered. <laughs> that's why they're not like, dis- you know, disproportionately affected by so many different things. And they are, you know, have an inherited, you know, um, you know, um, uh, an inherited advantage just by being white. So I'm just like, you know, anyway, but, you know, I'm glad that the NAACP president came down. The Duluth YMCA did apologize and also, uh, I think, barred the uh, volunteer from being able to participate in future uh, YMCA events. So at least it ended, a, you know, it was a happy story. Yeah, unfortunately, it took you know took some turns to get there, <laughs> but you know, just a, a rule of thumb. Maybe you should find out who your local NAACP chapter president is. You never I know. Never know who you, you can have to call up. I mean, hey, that's that's how it works. But we'll go from uh, Minnesota. We're gonna go. Not sure where we're going here. Rice University, maybe. Um, to lead researcher Dan Bolger of Rice University has told BET that pastors are feeling overwhelmed because the need in black communities is often more than their ability. So black pastors are saying that they're just being overwhelmed with people coming to them for mental health care. And so pastors often serve as first responders to mental health issues, but the pastors Bolger interviewed said they are not adequately adequately prepared and trained to do so. And so ultimately, uh, Mr. Bolger and his co-author Pamela Prickett of the University of Amsterdam explained that mental health care providers need to connect with and equip pastors to help community members struggling with mental illness to bridge care to black communities. Um, Adrian, that's a story we've talked a lot about with just mental health. We had an episode on it last year, and it's it's not surprising to me because of everything that has happened during the pandemic that this is what it's kind of leading to. You know, 
there is a stigma in our community when you talk about, you know, mental health. And so I'm not, I'm glad they're seeking help and hopefully they can get the pastors the proper resources and trained to be able to handle the people that are coming in. Yeah. And that's what that article is about. Cause it's, it's real. And, um, Rice university is actually in uh, Houston, Texas. So Houston, okay, uh, not too far from you probably, but yeah, it's good to see that. Um, a lot of, uh, individuals in the black community trust the church community for good reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we can have a better relationship between, you know, healthcare workers, social workers, and the church, you know, some things can happen. Um, so I'm all for that. Uh, and hopefully we can kind of see that because I know black pastors dealing with all the issues that black families deal with. That's, you know, that's, you're kind of trained, you know, trained to teach and preach and help with those sorts of needs, not, you know, uh, taking care of all these societal things like joblessness and, you know, food insecurity and things like that. Not every church is really set up for that. Exactly. I mean, you're right on that. I mean, it's a problem and hopefully they can get, you know, get the resources to the community because, I mean, the church is on the ground floor. They're literally in the communities. They are the community. So if you're going to help, the church is usually the first place to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And to take us to another interesting story, talking about helping, this is about an app that's um, supposed to turn your phone into a body cam. Pretty interesting. Um, This starts off with last year, more than a thousand people were shot and killed in the United States by police officers, and at least 203 of them were black. James A. Samuel Jr., developer of an app called Angel Tech, that turns any smartphone into the world's most powerful body cam says that the technology could have potentially saved those victims lives. James created the app because of his passion for preventing more black Americans from becoming yet another painful statistic. His app is both a discreet and secure way to immediately start live streaming an incident and also automatically send alerts and the person's GPS location to trusted family members and friends. The person in need of help can do so quietly with an with an aggressor noticing without an aggressor noticing and can also save the footage as video evidence to demand accountability. So um, that's really cool. I mean, I think it's, you know, obviously with your cell phone, you know, that's a way to do it, but depending on how this is more discreet uh, of a way to do it. And obviously the nice thing about uh, alerting your family members and friends, whomever you got probably set up in this, uh, you know, your, you know, signal and alerts and stuff like that. That's uh, that's pretty nice. Yeah, it is. I mean, that can be incredibly useful in a lot of different situations. And, you know, I, I, I welcome it. You know, hopefully people will start using it and protecting yourself. And just if anything, it just helps us to archive what's happening. So a lot of times when these situations pop up, there aren't cameras around or it may not be great footage. So absolutely happy to see that um, coming about. So our next story here. It's going to be about, you know, generational wealth and what it means and why you need a will. So this is something I didn't know. But when actor Chadwick Chadwick Boseman died, he didn't have a will. And neither did recording artist Prince and Aretha Franklin. Neither one of them had a will. And so each time this this news broke, there was surprise that these people who had such massive amounts of, of wealth acquired didn't have estate plans. And so 
the surprising thing is that estate planning isn't as common as experts argue it should be, including among Black Americans. I know we have mentioned this on the show. And overall, 33% of U.S. adults have a will. And this is according to Caring.com's 2021 Wills and Estate Planning Survey. And 27.5% of Black Americans have one, which is up a little bit from 25.9% in 2020. So at least it's ticking up in the right direction. But of course, a lot more work is uh, needs to be done. You do need a will. It just, you know, it just helps a lot when you're talking about leaving things behind um, to those you love. So a will just makes it a lot easier. Right. Not to mention it keeps it uh, out of probate court and stuff like that, because yeah. that, there are fees whenever things have to go to court. Uh, and then there's also the fact that you don't know, rather your family doesn't know what your wishes are. You know, they can say that, you know, mom wanted me to have this or that or whatever, but you know, unless you wrote it down, there's no way to, you know, say yeah, that exactly. that's actually yeah. a thing. So, uh, you know, listeners, if, you know, however old you are, you know, you know, we, we seem to draw mostly 25 to 45. So you are in a great position to go ahead and get your will. It's easy. Google it, figure it out, and make it happen. Um, another thing that we need to talk about making happen, um, I don't drive right now, but this gas tax, uh, suspension for, um, you know, the rising prices of gas, that's going to help any and everybody out no matter what. So some Democratic senators on Wednesday called for suspending the federal gas tax for the remainder of the year to help consumers struggling with rising fuel prices. Legislation from Senators Mark Kelly of Arizona and Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire could prove popular during an election year in which the average price of gas nationally, according to AAA, exceeds about $3.45 a gallon and could go higher during peak driving season. Four other Democratic senators quickly signed on as co-sponsors. Still, the bill faces an uphill fight to become law. You know, it's crazy how things like this that sound so nice that would help, you know, Republicans, Democrats, independents, you know, libertarians. I mean, everybody on the spectrum. (laughs) It's like, you know, unless it's got to be something with these people probably are going to, you know, who the people who are going to oppose us are probably people who get money from like, you know, gas companies. And, you know, I'm sure there's some money in, you know, tied into that. You know, it's going to prevent, you know, Congress from passing this. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't know who would oppose it, right? But what's <laughs> funny is that it's sort of at least for me, I don't, you know, I'm not in the political world that much, but it seems like a pretty good idea during an election year. If you are the Democrats, right? You could position yourself as the party that wants to cut taxes. And so you make it impossible, well, I would say impossible, but you make it really kind of a, a weird situation for Republicans to come out against you know, getting, I wouldn't say getting rid of, but suspending the gas tax to help people out. It's like you're standing in the way of things that could help the everyday person. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see if this could get a, you know, get some momentum and see how Republicans handle this because this could be something the Democrats use that says, look, we're trying to help you out. We're trying to suspend the gas tax. They're standing in the way. You know, that changes the narrative a little, at least a little bit for the midterms. <laughs> and <laughs> they need know. it. You need every bit of messaging help possible. Yes. Yes. And that is something we're going to dig into later in the season about Democrats and messaging. But yes, they need all the help they can get because as of right now, it's going to be a Republican controlled Senate and possibly House too. So just get ready. (laughs) But before we go, we're going to wrap up this segment with another 
interesting tidbit here before uh, before we go to break. So Madam C.J. Walker's descendants are continuing uh, their ancestors' legacy with the recent launch of Madam by Madam C.J. Walker, which is a new uh, Sundial Brands beauty and healthcare li- uh, hair care line. Uh, Sundial Brands and Walmart have co- collaborated on a distribution deal to bring Madam to 3,000 of the retailers' nationwide stores in addition to Walmart's website. And so the buying power of Americans with textured hair has been increasing for years as the country becomes more diverse and Black Black American buying power alone has reached more than a trillion dollars last year. And that is according to Nielsen data cited by Yahoo. So look out for Madam on uh, Walmart's website, as well as 3000 stores nationwide. And, and before we go to break listeners, I, don't, I just wanted to make sure you heard that about the black American buying power. It's, you know, $1 trillion. I mean, that's, I mean, I know that we're not really discussing that, but like when I, like that was <laughs> one thing I, I almost like made that sentence a discussion topic of talking about like, that's the power that we really have. Um, if we could like funnel that together, but unfortunately, um, we don't, but geez, uh, you know, a trillion dollars. That's, that's a lot. It's a whole lot. It's trillions with the T. We're past billions, so just to let you know, there is some power there. We can solve our own problems, probably. Yes. <laughs> At least the majority of them. I, I'm telling you, yes, if we change our spending habits, not saying your hair doesn't need to look good, but there are some areas maybe we can try to tighten up a little bit, and that could help in some different areas. But we'll take our first break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Ukraine and Russia situation that is, I wouldn't say heating up, but there's some news about that. And also we'll be talking about the story that came out this week about uh, the Biden administration sending out crack pipes to black communities. So that was mentioned. We're going to talk about it in our next segment. So stick with us and we'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast. If you're enjoying the show, Let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give a few dollars while you're at it. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Now let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into it. Our second segment here. We're going to start off like Devin was talking about, talking uh, about President Biden and the Ukraine situation. President Biden on Thursday urged Americans in Ukraine to leave the country immediately, warning that things could go crazy, things could go crazy quickly in the region. Also saying American citizens should leave now. Biden said in an upcoming interview that was taped Thursday with NBC News Lester Holt. Biden said during the NBC interview that there is not a situation that could prompt him to send U.S. troops to rescue Americans attempting to exit Ukraine. The White House has approved a plan for the nearly 2,000 U.S. troops in Poland to help Americans who may try to evacuate Ukraine if Russia invades, according to two U.S. officials familiar with the situation. So things are heating up. You know, I I mean, (laughs) that's what it sounds like, you know, whenever the president is telling people that things could go crazy quickly and that you need to leave, uh, that sounds like things are heating up. (laughs) I mean, it it takes you back to what happened in Afghanistan, you know, when they were telling people you need to get out now, that's kind of like your last, your last warning before Mm -hmm. something goes down. So I'm hoping this doesn't happen, but the 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 rhetoric the rhetoric around it certainly feels as though something is you know about to to go down so 
Of course, we'll keep you updated if Russia does decide to try to invade uh, Ukraine. So but we're going to come back stateside and go up to Canada where uh, they're dealing with a, a pretty multi-day uh, protest here by uh, members of the trucking industry. So access to three border cro- crossings in Michigan, North Dakota, and Montana have been cut off by truckers and like-minded demonstrators on the Canadian side of the border who are protesting COVID-related restrictions. And so for two weeks now, the trucks have blockaded the downtown core of Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada. And so the protests were ignited by truckers who opposed the nation's new rule that requires them to be fully vaccinated when when crossing the Canada-U.S. border, or they face a two-week quarantine. And so they're calling this the Freedom Convoy, and, and it has drawn others who are resisting COVID-19 preventative measures, which include mask mandates, lockdowns, and restrictions on gathering. And so uh, this has turned into a whole sort of, I wouldn't say a nightmare, but it's turning into a nightmare for a nightmare for Canada. And it's also been some whispers that they may try to do something during the Super Bowl. So we're going to see if this turns into, you know, another protest down here in the States. You know, we are sort of like sister countries, you know, so... You never know. You already know there's a lot of anti-vax people here in the United States. And so they would love and relish the opportunity to help those in Canada who are trying to fight vaccine mandates. Which is just so crazy. I'm like, you know, I, I was reading an article where we've, I think we're just at 900,000 deaths due to COVID. And I'm just like, come on, people. Like, you know, let's just... Let's let's stop doing all of this so we can kind of move past. So it's, you know, at least it's not a, um, you know, just an issue here. It's a issue that's even trying to go across the border. Uh, and we know that, you know, <laughs> other countries are still suffering from this. Uh, hopefully we can, you know, can make it through and not see another variant that kind of comes through here. Because that's, that's kind of what I've been really worried about with a lot of these uh, people who still are hesitant to de- get vaccines. But... Um, I was, I, I, I didn't really set up a good leader and I was like, I don't have a <laughs> you know, vaccines or crack pipes, but we're still going to take you to crack pipes listeners. Either way, um, <laughs> the Biden white house said on Wednesday, uh, they or rather they denied claims on Wednesday that it's funding and distribution of crack pipe to communities across the United States, clarifying that a multi-million dollar grant program through the Department of Health and Human Services is intended to reduce harm caused by drug addiction. Conservative media outlets previously reported that President Biden was spending $3 million to distribute crack pipes to Americans struggling with addiction. The $30 million at the center of the crack pipe misinformation stems from a grant uh, funded by the American Rescue Plan and administered by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration, SAM HSA, if you want to kind of know that, an agency under HSA, HHS, and then announced last year. While the administration made clear it is not funding distribution of pipes, the grant program will provide safe smoking kits, which is really cool. I mean, I'm sure that this is probably how conservatives kind of misconstrued this Mm -hmm. when they were talking about, you know, giving out crack pipes. It's actually safety kits. It has like, you know, fentanyl test strips, clean syringes, alcohol swabs, even lip balm for cuts and stuff. So it seems like a pretty cool thing. Uh, you know, mechanisms to help people, you know, you know, who are going through addiction, be safe about it. Um, it kind of reminds me of how we were talking about 
with uh, Amy Fettig with the Sentencing Project, how we, you know, need to help, you know, people with drug addiction, you know, be safe about it and, you know, kind of overcome that. Uh, and you do that by making sure they have, you know, proper equipment. Because at the end of the day, you know, people are going to do drugs. So I'm just like, you know, either you have to address the problem as you know a realist or you can live in some sort of fantasy world and think that just, you know, demonizing these folks are going to make them stop doing drugs. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to is people have, I think some people have the idea that you can just make people stop, you know, being drug addicts on day one, just by taking it away from them. Like it's, it doesn't work like that. So the options you have options, you can just try to lock them up you know, and force them to be off of it, which we have tried and that has not worked. Or exactly. we can go to the more, you know, this route, the treatment route of, of making sure, okay, if you're going to use that, you do it safely, you don't hurt yourself or kill yourself. And then we'll try to work to get you off of it with a treatment plan or something like that. Like there's, there are different ways to do it, but this was, this was done on purpose. I mean, the conservative, I mean, you saw people all over Twitter, Instagram, not just conservatives, but even people on the left were picking this up and saying the Biden administration is giving, you know, the black people crack pipes and they're spending $30 million to do it. I heard this story reported on the radio by a station here in Dallas, and I wanted to turn it off because I thought the conversation was so silly. You know, like, like guys, like it doesn't take much to do a Google search to find out if this story was true or not. And they were just leaving open the idea that, yes, the Biden administration is buying $30 million in crack pipes and they're going to give it to people. I mean, it was just I just I thought we had come further in checking the information that we're giving to people. It's a very large station here in Dallas. And I just thought the conversation was just sad. You know, like I don't expect them to be journalists, but I expect you to do your due diligence before you, quote unquote, report something on the radio and not at least give people this part of what we just said, which is this is what it actually is coming down to. This is what they're giving people. So it's just, it just took a, a life of its own. And it it's just like shows you how journalism. very bad journalism. I ain't gonna say yellow journalism, but it's pretty <laughs> far from it. Like I was just, this, I was just amazed at the stuff they were saying. Right, yeah, because you hear like something like this, and it's like they're giving crack pipes out, and it's like no, they're not. They're you know <laughs> they're they're trying to help. Like, and I mean it it yeah, they're giving them you know ways to use drugs by giving them you know clean syringes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But again, it comes down to safety protocols, making sure that they don't you know spread infection and you know different things among themselves, and you know there's just there's a lot that goes into that. So. Um, <laughs> just no, funny no. how misinformation <laughs> spreads. Go yes. listen to Mike Webb's website, uh, Mike Webb's episode from the Newsletter Project, in case you don't know about misinformation. <laughs> At, please do. This was a perfect example of why we need to be vigilant <laughs> with misinformation. But we'll move on from there, and um, we're going to go to California, where the the state of California has now filed a lawsuit against the company Tesla over allegations that they have operated a, quote, racially segregated workplace at its factory near San Francisco. And and after investigating numerous uh, allegations, officials found evidence 
that the Fremont factory is, quote, a racially segregated workplace where black workers are subjected to racial slurs and discriminated against in job assignments, discipline, pay and promotion, creating a hostile work environment. And this is according to uh, the California, the state of California. And so Tesla has called the, the plans to sue, quote, unfair and counterproductive, asserting that the allegations focus on events from years ago. And in the statement, the company also appeared to be um, Wednesday that appeared to be released before the lawsuit was filed. The electric vehicle manufacturer said it would be taking to court, take asking the court to pause the case and take other steps to ensure that facts and evidence will be heard. So I think I've heard of heard this story before about something about a noose. I don't remember the exact story, but I've heard allegations like this before. But I mean, I mean, I assume there's <laughs> got to be some evidence there for the state to take that big of a leap and decide to sue the company. Well, I lived in California for two years and they are very liberal, very progressive. So, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they moved uh, without having the proper evidence. I, oh, I mean, boy. I don't know, but, you know, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but at the same time, I mean, Tesla obviously is going to say that it's untrue. So maybe, yeah. I mean, they're saying look at the evidence. So maybe there's a reason they're saying look at the evidence. Uh, maybe they feel that the evidence is in their favor. I don't know, but, um, you know, well, hopefully, um, there'll be some more news that comes out of that story and we'll kind of, uh, keep you in the loop. But to talk about the Olympics, Devin, uh, highlighted that. Uh, I don't know what the medal count is as of today. We might can have that for you later, but, uh, what we really want to talk about is this snow. Um, you know, the Beijing Winter Olympics, uh, first games to use 100% artificial snow. Many fans have noticed the abundance of artificial snow, wondering why they are completely relying on the fake snow and how athletes feel about it. As far as the why goes, fake snow was always the plan ever since Beijing was awarded the Winter Olympics. The area simply doesn't get a ton of snow annually. In order to create enough snow for the events, Yahoo Sports reported that there are over 100 snow generations and 300 snow cannons to cover the ski slopes. These machines have helped create over 1.2 million cubic meters of snow to ensure that athletes have enough for each winter event. So, you know, that's really interesting. I was almost, I figured it would be something like global warming, but, you know, I guess Beijing just, you know, just doesn't get snow. Well, in, in reading your article, that was one of the things they pointed out was that as the planet is warming, it's probably going to become harder to put on, quote unquote, winter Olympics because, you know, there's the areas that usually have snow aren't getting as much and things like that. I was pretty surprised that they were it was completely fake snow. I think in reading the article, too, I think the first couple times this has been done. It was like 80% fake snow, 90% fake snow. So apparently this is something that they've done before. But I think this is, like I said, it's the first time it was just 100%. I don't know. <laughs> just do it in like the Himalaya mountains or something like that. I'm, I'm sure there's always yeah. snow up there. I'm like, you know, <laughs> no, I mean, there's got to be somewhere. Like, I mean, you know, Colorado, I mean, I'm, I'm, those mountains always have snow. There's, yeah. there's just... You're just going to have to repeat cities. You can't just, you know, bounce around wherever you want. You know, you can't, you know, it's not going to be one of those things where every country is going to get an opportunity to host. Like if, if you don't have snow in your country, you just can't host the Winter Olympics. You can do Summer Olympics. It's okay. 
Sorry. I mean, that's, I mean, that's probably the best idea is just to have a group of cities that you only go to for the winter Olympics. I mean, it's just, it just, because it was weird. Too, I saw some, it's just geography, the planet's warming. It's just the reality that there just aren't nearly as many places to be able to host the winter Olympics. And it's just something about bringing in these cannons to create snow and using all this water to do it when there are places on the planet that don't have access to, you know, clean drinking water. And we're over here pumping up hundreds of thousands of gallons of it to make some fake snow for the Olympics in a place that doesn't get snow. It's just the whole thing just, just doesn't feel right. <laughs> well, you know, from, well, I, I guess from the experience that I have with, you know, foreign policy, um, China doesn't typically care much about, you know, civil issues and like oh, social no. justice and stuff like that. Oh, so no. No, they're no. probably not even concerned with that at all. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, not to continue the conversation, but they, I think when they hosted the, the, the summer Olympics, I want to say that they created um, fake, it wasn't fake rain, but they were somehow able to seed the clouds around the Olympic stadium during the uh, opening ceremony and they were able to see the clouds and have it rain to clear out the uh, pollution in the air. So you could actually see clearly down to the stadium. I want to say that's what they did. So, like, China has done this before with manipulating the environment. So it sounds they, like X-Men stuff know, with Storm it, or something. Sounds <laughs> insane. But they actually, they actually did that. They actually seeded the clouds and everything. It was pretty insane. Um, but that's just what they do because they... I think they put up more pollution than anybody. So, and they're not going to change it. They're not really concerned about the environment over there, but we'll stop talking. We'll stop dragging on China and everything, but we'll round out this segment with a a black history fact for you because it is black history month. And so um, on, on this day, today is February the 12th on this day in 1909, the nation's largest and most widely recognized civil rights organization was born and that was the NAACP. And so the NAACP is aimed, was aimed to secure for all people the rights guaranteed in 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the United States Constitution, which promised to end slavery, provide equal protection of the law, and the right for all men to vote, respectively. And so just to let you know, on this day in 1909, the NAACP was born and we mentioned them earlier in the show. They are still here doing good work um, on the ground. So there you go. That's your Black History Fact. We're going to leave you with that. And when we come back after the break, we're going to get into our quick hits. So stick with us. We'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's get into our quick hits here. And so we mentioned earlier in the show, if you've you've been paying attention, we've mentioned that Canada has a bunch of, you know, truckers and other folks who are protesting COVID uh, restrictions. And so apparently they have a man on this side of the border who's also wanting to join the protest. And so he wanted to join in or, and he wanted to protest over mask mandates. And so he made a mistake in trying to do this. And so 
Um, he called in a bomb threat to police so that he called in a bomb threat so police would waste their time chasing it. And authorities said his mistake was he called the wrong Ottawa. He called the village in Ohio. And so the man is a 20-year-old from Akron, Ohio, who called the Putnam County Sheriff's Office, Sheriff's Office twice on Monday. And so the first time he called, he made a bomb threat. Then the second time he called, he said he'd been shot. And he was just trying to get their attention to come out, thinking that he was taking the police away from the protests that were happening in Ottawa, Canada. And so that's and so after he called <laughs> and said he'd been shot, the man, that's when the man found out that he was talking with someone in the state of Ohio in the United States. And the police have said he, quote, wasn't paying attention and just called the first number that he found. He said he was mad about the mask mandates. The sheriff's office said it would ask the county prosecutor to consider charges against the man. So, folks, if you're going to call in a bomb threat, please make sure you call in the correct place. You don't want to play with something like that. I mean, wow. It's like, what do you say? Like, how how dumb are you? It's like, I don't, <laughs> like, I mean, you can't just call, you know, 911 and expect to get to the right place. I mean, you got you got to look up the right number or something. I don't know. Like, and you, he probably googled police department in Ottawa and did not put Ottawa, Canada. And he just probably. put Ottawa and it came up with Ottawa, Ohio. <laughs> Come on, man. But, you know, hey, Thank that's you. you live and learn, I guess. That's what that's what yeah. life's all about. You live and learn. Yeah. Um, this was a situation that is out of, uh, well, the article didn't have this, well, some village, Kana Johari or something like that, uh, talks about a pot-bellied pig, Ellie, the pot-bellied pig, and how she snuggles with her owner, uh, Wyvern Flat. That's, I guess that's how you say it. That's a crazy name, Wyvern. Uh, Ellie is 110 pounds and, uh, Wyvern considers her family. Even says it's emotional support pig uh, that helped him get through a divorce and the death of his mother. However, officials of the village see it differently. They see Ellie as a farm animal and that flat is illegally harboring her. The village code officer that visited uh, Wyvern's house said that Ellie was illegally there uh, in 2019. So uh, uh, Wyvern, I guess, you know, for the past two, three years, didn't really care much about what the uh, village code officer said. Um, village, uh, the village noticed that Ellie was there after six months. Uh, Wyvern formally notified, uh, was formally notified by the local code that he was barring, uh, farm animals in the village. And violation of a zoning code is actually a misdemeanor under state law. A note from a nurse practitioner also said that Ellie might not be what's helping, uh, Wyvern get off of his medication. So that's kind of in dispute. And while he keeps in his wallet a laminated car illustrated with the headshot of Ellie saying that she is a registered emotional support animal, the village attorney said that, uh, that that's also questionable, that he just kind of paid for that probably on some online site, and there was no formal legal process. So um, I don't know, Devin. It sounds like an interesting story. It seems like you know maybe Wyvern just really loves Ellie and needs her around or... Maybe Wyvern needs to move to a farm where he can just keep, you know, Ellie and Ellie's family. Yeah, <laughs> he should probably do that. 
the latter of what you said. <laughs> they ain't, they're not going for it. I mean, they've already told them a couple of times that Ellie, you know, it's, it's time for her to go. But I mean, he said his family he paid for a laminated car. That's funny um, that he went that far. I mean, I'm, I don't know. Part of me is just like, let the man have his pig. Let him just, they ain't bothering nobody. Probably not. I mean, Boy, I had a 140 pound Great Dane. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, people have dogs. Like, so people have dogs that are bigger than that. So it's like, forget that it's a farm animal. Just act like it's a dog. <laughs> just pretend it's a dog. Um, <clears throat> but we'll move on from. From there and go, we're going to talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. As you know, that is tomorrow between the Los Angeles Rams and Cincinnati Bengals. And so just to add on to the story and excitement about tomorrow's game, there are three friends who have actually attended every Super Bowl, and they're hoping for a memorable contest this year because it will probably be their final trip to the big game as a group. So the three men are all in their 80s, and they have attended every game since the first AFL-NFL World Championship game was held 55 years ago. And it was held about seven miles from this year's venue, which is SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. And so the three friends are meeting at the game once again this year, but future meetings are in question. So just to give you their names, uh, the first gentleman is Don Christman. He's a main resident and the oldest of the group at age 85. He said this is his last game. And then the next gentleman is Gregory Eaton. He's 82 of Michigan. He wants to keep attending, but he said his health concerns could get in the way. And then lastly, Tom Henschel, who is a football fanatic who spends the cold months in Florida, said that Super Bowl LX, which is in 2026, will be his last. And so... I thought this was pretty amazing, Adrian. Number one, it's very expensive to go to the Super Bowl. So I don't, man, I wish I had the ability yeah. to go every year. <laughs> but it's also kind of cool, too, that, you know, they're in their 80s and they're still making this trip. You know, two of them planning, hey, as long as the body holds up, they plan to keep going. So I wish I could do it. But that is a pretty cool story um, that they've been to every single Super Bowl. I know that is really fun. I mean, I when I lived in Los Angeles, I had saw that it was going to be there, and I looked at tickets, and I usually, I mean, like three, four grand. <laughs> it's not, a, it's not a wow. cheap thing to just say that I'm going to go to the Super Bowl. Like, you know, I can go to a Colts game here while I'm in Indy, but you know, that's you know, that's just forty to eighty bucks or whatever. But you're not going to get a Super Bowl ticket for eighty dollars. So no, yeah, that's awesome and. <laughs> If I'm in my upper 80s, I uh, I hope to be you know doing stuff like this. I probably won't be going to Super Bowl games, but hey, maybe I'll go somewhere. Um, this story is coming out of Georgia. Um, sheriff deputies in Georgia were surprised to learn last week that they uh, that it was reported that a woman's body was found along a hiking trail, but it was actually a life size doll, even complete with accessories. Um, they don't give what type of accessories, but your imagination can run wild there. The doll dubbed Selena was seen in the Hachiti National Forest and was reported to authorities last Thursday. But responding deputies quickly realized it was just a case of littering, not homicide. The Jones County Sheriff's Office said the victim, well, like I said, Selena, <laughs> is a little under the weather. But she has been, <laughs> but she has been having a nice day, and is expected to make a full recovery. 
the department is joking on their Facebook page. But they said, in all seriousness, thank God for small blessings and that this was just out of that this turned out to just be a case of littering. If you know Selena or are responsible for her whereabouts, rest assured no DNA was collected <laughs> and you are safe. <laughs> but in the future, please make sure to dispose of your items in a responsible way. In quotes. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> at least they put in a little, you know, a caption, no DNA was collected. So that way, you know, you don't, <laughs> you don't have to like be sweating, you know, wondering, because obviously they could figure out who who this is. And, you know. <laughs> so I mean, you don't you don't just leave these sorts of things where you got DNA all around, you know, in and, and you know. So there you go. Yeah, I'm sure whoever left it is probably like, "Whew! All right, they're not going to swab for DNA." <laughs> That's probably, oh my god, it's terrible. Because I'm sure, I mean, it's, <clears throat> I'm sure it had to have been like a used doll. I mean, you don't just like yeah. you don't just buy a doll and just stage it for. I mean, because those are expensive some things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not something you just go out and and use it once, throw it away, kind of thing. Unless you really yeah. wanted to just have a joke on the police department in your local community and you just were like, hey, I'm going to spend a couple hundred to get this doll and put it out there. Like, I mean, maybe <laughs> if you got it like that, you know, hey, somebody probably could use their tax refund for that. Oh, my gosh. I hope <laughs> not. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But we'll we'll move from there. No collecting DNA there. But there's one guy who probably needs to stop. Spreading his DNA everywhere. That is one Nick Cannon. (laughs) Transitions. Uh, (laughs) From one DNA to another, Nick Cannon needs to probably stop. And I think he's got, he's going to appreciate this gift. So Nick Cannon shared on Instagram that he's already received a humorous gag gift for Valentine's Day this year. And he said, quote, it looks like somebody just sent me an early Valentine's Day gift, a vending machine full of magnums. And he wrote this on Monday in the caption of the photo that he posted of himself standing aside the president. Uh, the condom-filled apparatus had a big red bow on top of it. So just to give you some context to this, last week, Cannon clarified comments that he made that he was planning to be celibate. And he said that he was going to chill out and kind of step away from spreading around his DNA. He was going to get focused and going within and getting his celibacy on it. So he uh, what he clarified was that he didn't he said he didn't break his celibacy celibacy but he but that he actually started the journey of being celibate after learning that model Bree uh TC was pregnant with his eighth child so i it took eight children for him to decide hey this this <laughs> might be <laughs> this might be the limit here <laughs> i mean i uh, i have a uncle uh, who was really a Rolling Stone. I'm sure some people, everybody's got an uncle like this where they've got like 54 plus kids. I mean, it's like, yeah. I, and I'm sure that's like low balling. I think it's like more in like the 60 to 70. Like he was like oh my just, Lord. Just, just running through. Um, well, I'm not going to finish that statement. But uh, <laughs> you, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you get the picture, listener. Yeah. You know what I was gonna say. So it's all good. He better not ever sign up for Ancestry dot com and do a DNA test because boy, his his account's gonna be on fire. I'm telling Imagine. you. I mean, it's it's. I mean, hey, at least at least you have a very rich <laughs> heritage. I mean, it, it's you come from very fertile genes. 
Uh, speaking of fertile genes, um, you know, this is a uh, transition. Okay. I like it. <laughs> I know, trying to, this uh, zoo is trying to um, get some genes to continue amongst this endangered species of mo- monkey. And they're using a Marvin Gaye impersonator to do it. So this is a British zoo uh, trying to bolster the population, like I said, of an endangered species, hired this Marvin Gaye impersonator. Uh, this is out of the T. Uh, Monkey Forest in Stafford, England. They hired David Largy, an experienced Marvin Gaye impersonator, and he's been performing hits like Let's Get It On and Sexual Healing inside the Bari, uh, Babari uh, Macaques. That's what they're called, Babari Macaques Habitat. Each birth is very vital to their survival as they're endangered. Uh, Levette said zookeepers expect to discover whether this visit had any effect on the monkeys when birthing season arrives late spring and early summer. So, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe this helps because, I mean, monkeys probably understand, you know, what, you know, the, the music. I'm sure they could probably vibe a little <laughs> bit because they're smart creatures. Uh, but the thing is, I'm like, if they're going to be mating in like late spring, early summer, he's going to have to go back out there. I mean, it's, he's a little too early. I mean, unless he's just trying to set the mood. I mean, I don't, I don't know how monkeys are, but I feel like it needs to be a little more timely. I, I, I'm with you. I, I saw that and I was like, well, hold on now. He's doing it now and they got to wait till March, <laughs> April, May, June to, to see if it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I would think he needs to come back like right. once a month or something. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I have to do a whole play set. May, yeah. Like, yeah, you, there you go. <laughs> that, would, that seems a, a long time, but obviously we're not experts on how this whole thing works, but that seems like a long time. <laughs> but maybe it works. Maybe it'll get some sexual healing and I'll get, you know, some, some new species coming in. But we'll I mean, see. You can only hope part. for with endangered animals. Yeah, now we're rooting for them. <laughs> we hope it works. Uh, but well, listeners, we're going to go ahead and take our last break. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up the show to let you know what you have to look forward to after today. So make sure you stick with us and we'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, become a monthly patron. Go to blackagendapod.com and click the donate tab or click donate under the timestamps as you're listening to the podcast. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the show. So first up, I just want to let you know, things are going to look a little bit different here at the Black Agenda Podcast next week. We will still be with you. We're not taking a break, but we are taking sort of a bye week, as you call it. Um, we, As you know, we are dead smack in the middle of Black History Month, and we've already put out an episode uh, called Black Contributions. And so we want to continue this theme of Black History by reaching back into our our archive and highlighting three awesome conversations that we had with some awesome guests from our previous seasons. And so instead of releasing a new episode next week, we're just going to promote and encourage you to listen to the three episodes that we did last year about Black history. So first up, 
the first episode you should listen to is called The History Makers with Julie, Juliana Richardson. That's an awesome organization, and they're doing some great work in archiving Black stories and Black perspectives of people who have done some some great work in our community. And so that is The History Makers with Juliana Richardson. Make sure you check that out. The next episode we think you should listen to is called Setting the Standard for Black History. And that features Dr. Lionel Kemble from the organization. He is the vice president of the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History, a.k.a. ASALA. And so that's an excellent conversation to give you the historical context of how we even got Black History Month in the first place. So make sure you listen to that episode featuring Dr. Lionel Kimball. And then to wrap it up, you should absolutely listen listen to this. If you're an educator, especially, you should listen to this episode. It's called What is Black History? And that features Dr. LeGarrett King. He gives us what really what it really means to quote teach black history in our schools and what a black history curriculum looks like. He actually goes around and, and educates and trains. Uh, teachers and administrators on how to incorporate Black history into their teachings. So this is an episode where we really dive into what it means to teach Black history. We You should listen to all three of these episodes. They are awesome and definitely worth the time. And just to point out, too, you can watch, actually. As you know, we, we are an audio podcast, but we do have some video conversations. You can watch our conversation with Juliana Richardson, and Dr. LeGarrett King on YouTube. Just find our channel, just search the Black Agenda Podcast. And so, again, next week, there will be no regular episode, no guest, but we will have three awesome, awesome interviews that we'll be promoting. And then, of course, we'll be back with you next Saturday, February the 19th, to bring you weekly roundup number five. And so, a lot happening here at the show. We're getting things ready as we get into kind of the meat of the season, the middle of the season, but we also want to make sure that we let you know what we have done in the past regarding Black history and help to educate you and catch you up if you haven't listened to our archive. And so a lot was said there. (laughs) And so before we get out of here, Adrian's going to let you know how you can help us out here at the show. And that's not just listening, but you can actually donate to us. That's right, listeners. You can donate to us to keep us going, to keep the movement alive, to do a lot of things because Devin and I were not just trying to podcast. We're really trying to build something here. And, you know, I said every time we get to this point in the episodes that you can't have just great ideas. You gotta have some money here in America. And we're trying to do that. Um, and we're going to make it happen. I mean, we're making moves for ourselves and we just need you to move with us and, you know, make it happen for us. So go to our website. When you go to our website, it's just blackagendapie.com. You can click the donate tab from there and it's going to take you to our donation hub. Or if you're listening to us and you just click into the timestamps where it says donate, you'll also get to the same hub. From there, you'll see different levels of being a patron. And as you give to us, we give things back to you. We even have a merchandise project that we're going to be launching. So it's going to be really exciting to be a donor and to say that you actually support the Black Agenda. Uh, you can actually you know, be proud to say that you support the Black Agenda. But like I said, be on the lookout for that merchandise. The website's already up. So like I said, go to blackagendapie.com, click the Donate tab, and start giving. 
The other thing that we like to mention is the charity of the month. And for the month of February, we've been talking about the Equal Justice Initiative. They are a private 501c3 nonprofit organization that provides legal representation to people who have been illegally convicted, unfairly sentenced, or abused in state jails and prisons. They challenge the death penalty and excessive punishment and even promote reentry assistance to formerly incarcerated people. They are working to end mass incarceration and excessive punishment in the United States. So really a great organization that's trying to challenge racial and economic justice and, you know, just, you know, I guess in an essence, protect basic human rights. So great to support the Equal Justice Initiative. If you haven't checked them out already, go to their website. Um, you probably have heard about Brian Stevenson. He's always in the media and stuff like that. So just go to their website, Equal Justice Initiative, and check them out. That's right. Check them out. Check out these three fantastic episodes from our past archive. And, of course, check us out when we come back to you next Saturday, February the 19th, to bring you weekly roundup number five. And so that's going to be it for me and Adrian here at the show We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Weekly Roundup. And there's a lot of news, but we had a lot of fun bringing it to you. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. At Black Agenda Pod is our handle. You can also reach us on uh, via email, info at blackagendapod.com. You can, wherever you, you know, listen to your music, you can find us. You can also find us on YouTube, like I mentioned. Just search for the Black Agenda Podcast. And also, I want to make sure I plug this again. We have a news section. So not only do we bring you the news via our podcast here, but we also have a news section on our website. We have some fantastic interns who are writing some really, really good articles about topics in the news, but also some historical things as well. So make sure you go to blackagendapod.com forward slash news. And that way you'll find everything we've posted not just here on the show, but some, not some things we talked about here on the show, but also some things that'll help educate you maybe about some topics you don't normally um, get to read about. So again, that's blackagendapod.com forward slash news. Check it out. Let us know what you think. We're trying to grow the show here, trying to make it more than just a podcast, but also make sure make us your information source. So check out blackagendapod.com forward slash news. And I'm going to stop talking because I know you're tired of hearing us. And we're going to catch you again next Saturday, February the 19th. And until then, we'll catch you next time.